So I want to begin my sermon this morning with a bit of a, of a public service announcement. Please know that starting on October 1st of 2020, you will not be able to fly with just your ordinary driver's license. In fact, you will need a TSA-approved, federally compliant driver's license called a real ID or a, or a passport in order to fly in the future. Your old run-of-the-mill California driver's license will no longer be acceptable. You will need a California license with a gold bear and a star on it in order to get on flights starting on October 1st. How many people knew this? Okay, most of you? Okay, this is like informative for somebody out here though. I, this is good. So to, to deal with this new reality, and of course to get my license renewed, I went to the DMV a few months back. I waited in my lines, I shared my paperwork and my proof of identification, I got my eyes checked, I got my picture taken, and then, then I had to take the written test, which is on a computer. I had not realized that I was going to have to take the test. <laughs> so I had not studied at all. For the most part, that was not a problem. I know what a yield sign looks like, and I know what to do if a school bus has its flashing lights and its stop sign going. But then, then I missed a question that I, I really knew the answer to, and then I couldn't remember what the legal number is on blood alcohol level, and then there was this question about when it's legal to leave children in a car unsupervised and what age a child needs to be to watch a baby in the car. And I missed those questions too. And before I knew it, I had failed the test. Now the nice attendant told me that I was welcome to take the test again. But if I failed again, then I would need to leave for at least a day, and I would need to study up, and I would need to come back. So I took another stab at it. And, wonder of wonders, the second time I passed. They issued me my driver's license, and they sent me on my way. What struck me as funny was that I was the same person with the same driving ability both the time I failed and the time I passed. I like to think that I did not become a menace on the road when I failed, <laughs> only to be redeemed when I passed. But if I hadn't passed that second time, then I would not have been issued a new driver's license, right? And I would have been deemed unfit to drive. Now I say all this because I think we can be tempted to think of our moral life in a way sort of like the driver's test. Answer certain questions, or rather, do or do not do certain things, and you get deemed a moral and good person. Or, alternatively, fail in doing the right thing one too many times, and that means that you are failing to be a good person. Now, I think there's some wisdom in this way of thinking. 
a wisdom captured in something like the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule. Commandments like do not murder or do not steal or do not commit adultery are simply good rules to live by, especially for living a moral life. They are are necessary guidelines for how we can live at peace with our fellow human beings and, frankly, with ourselves. Necessary, but in and of themselves, living by these rules is simply not sufficient. And I think we can see this in the way that Jesus talks about the law in this morning's gospel lesson. In this lesson, Jesus goes about the business of interpreting some of the Ten Commandments for his disciples. For his part, Jesus affirms basic commandments, but then goes on to offer radical interpretations of those same commandments. Jesus begins by affirming the commandment, you shall not murder, but then calls on his disciples to forsake anger altogether and to go all out in the cause of reconciliation with others. Then Jesus affirms the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, but then calls on his disciples to even forsake lust and objectifying other people. While he's at it, he recasts the notion of divorce altogether. Now, it's worth recognizing that Jesus is assuming a patriarchal setting here, where where lusts very much were connected to power. And women in this culture were powerless to divorce their husbands. And nonetheless, despite the fact that Jesus is undermining patriarchy, patriarchy here, the radical notion of Jesus' command remains. While Jesus is not telling us that sexual attraction is wrong, he is telling us that we should not objectify one another for our own self-gratification, even if it's just in our thoughts. And then finally, not only does Jesus affirm the commandment, you shall not swear falsely, but then commands his disciples to give up taking oaths altogether. Let your yes be yes, Jesus says, and let your no be no. I imagine the challenge of all this is not lost on us. Because the commandments, interpreted in the way Jesus is interpreting them, seems to make them pretty impossible to keep. I mean, in all my years, I've been able to get through my entire life without murdering a single soul. Good for me, right? Yay! But I can't remember the last time I've made it through a single day without feeling anger toward another person. I have even spent days, whole days, all by myself. And I am sure that a memory or a bit of news has aroused anger within me. Moreover, I have not committed adultery but I have lusted over others. And no, I am not in the habit of breaking my oaths and swearing falsely, but my yes has simply not always been yes, and my no is not always no. If we subscribe 
to the driver's test notion of the moral life. And we use Jesus's criteria, then it would appear that I should lose my license. And so too, I imagine, should most of you. (laughs) But here's the thing. For all of their severity, what Jesus offers us as marks of the moral life sound both extreme, but also true. For indeed, yes, murder kills, but anger, all by itself, even if it is never, ever acted on, can devour a soul. And yes, adultery is betrayal, but living one's life objectifying other people will cause one to lose themselves in that. And that objectification demeans both the person lusted over and the person who lusts, the objectifier. Yes, a lie under oath can have tragic effects, but so too can the small lies that we live into day in and day out. Jesus might sound severe here, but I can't help but think that he is also right. And as such, we're not going to satisfy these commands, at least not in their entirety. Broken and flawed people that we are, we will not always get it right. And so one of the things that these commands do, I think, is to throw us into the arms of God's mercy and God's grace. If Jesus is giving us an accurate standard of, for, for living a moral life, then he also takes away our potential for self-justification. We will not be able to make ourselves righteous through our own actions, which means that Jesus is telling us that we will need to rely on God's grace and God's mercy and on God's forgiveness. But more than just this, more than just this, I think Jesus is inviting us to see our moral lives not as a test to be satisfied, but rather as a horizon to be lived into, or maybe a creative project that is to be realized, or maybe a song that is to be better and better sung. Because Jesus gives us these commands, because Jesus is looking to set us free. Jesus is looking to set us free from those things that make us small and self-absorbed. Jesus is looking to set us free so that we might live the life that we were created to live. To echo from Deuteronomy, choose life. Jesus is looking to set us free to love. To love ourselves, to love our neighbor, and to love God. 
Indeed, as Jesus will say elsewhere, the greatest commandment is to love, to love God with all our hearts and souls and minds and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If we're going to understand what that means, that love means, if we're going to push beyond trivialization or sentimentality, then we will need to know what it looks like to love God and love our fellow human beings as we love ourselves. We'll need to flesh that out. And Jesus gives us a part of the picture of what this sort of love looks like this morning. For Jesus, the law is given as a gift. And Jesus invites us to find our freedom as we look to live into this gift. As in everything, Jesus is looking to set us free. Jesus is looking to set us free so that we might truly live. Jesus is looking to set us free so that we might truly love. Amen.